Well, it's good to be back at CVP. Um, Sally and I were away last Sunday, so many of you will know. Uh, on Monday the 8th, we flew to Jackson, Mississippi to um, see family, um, help clean out her uh, stepmother's condo and uh, divide things up with her sister and brother and drive a U-Haul truck back across the fruited plain. Uh, which I am proposing as a new definition of insanity, actually. Um, anyway, I thank, want to thank Steve Green again for serving in this pulpit. Our priorities on this trip were to see family drive across the country and, oh, by the way, gain a few possessions that we might or might not have need, needed, but uh, they were willed to us years ago, and uh, we needed to go and do that. So it's good to be back. So Thanksgiving's upon us. Um, I didn't need to tell those of you that are preparing Thanksgiving dinner. Um, Thanksgiving's one of these holidays that I think creates something of an unseen and unrealized crisis in our culture uh, because many will be talking about giving thanks and being thankful. They will advocate that. You'll hear it on the television. But it raises the problem or the question... To whom? To whom? I mean, if you give thanks, it needs to have a a source of that for which you are thankful. Um, And we have this kind of nebulous, be thankful uh, feeling in our culture today. And for the Christian, it's an easy answer. Well, it's God. He's the source of every good and perfect gift. But for the non-Christian, it's very, to me, unsettling. Even, as I say, creates a bit of an unspoken crisis in our culture. And uh, I hope that all of you uh, will take the opportunity uh, this Thursday to give thanks to God uh, for the good things that you have. Now, I approach the book of Revelation. You know, Calvin never preached on the book of Revelation. And so who am I to preach on the book of Revelation? You know, it's kind of like... But he was a full-grown bullfrog, and I'm just a tadpole, you know. And, uh, and, uh, but anyway, um, I want to offer to you what someone shared with me many years ago about the book of Revelation that I think will help you uh, to understand it as a whole. Um, this probably reveals some of my commitments about the end times as well, but that's okay. Um, imagine a lighthouse, a round lighthouse, that has seven floors. By the way, I don't remember where I heard this or read this, uh, but it's been helpful for a lot of people. Um, And inside this lighthouse, there's a circular ascending staircase. And so you've got these seven floors or seven levels, and on each level, uh, there's a window to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. And, And so you start up the staircase and and. On the first floor, you say, look to the north, and you see something. And then you go up another level, and you look to the north, and you see the same thing, but you see it from a little bit different perspective. And it's really the same thing, but you're in a little different perspective. Now, suppose that these uh, windows to the north, you're all looking out on the judgment of God. And to the south, you're all looking out on the sovereignty of God or the person of God. And, and to the east, you're looking to the people of God. And to the west, another theme that's in the book of Revelation. But at each level, you see it from a little bit different perspective. I think that's the book of Revelation. And I think that's the reason why when you read this book, you think, 
Well, I just read this a couple of chapters ago, didn't I? And the answer is, well, yes, you did. Yes, you did. You, you read about the judgment of God a few chapters ago. You read about the glory of God a few chapters ago. You read about the people of God a few chapters ago. But, but John is presenting it in a little bit different perspective. And that's been a, very helpful for me uh, to think of it that way. And as you read this book, maybe it will be helpful for you. Let's pray. Then we're going to read Revelation 7, 9 to 17, and then consider the theme when thanksgiving will last forever. Lord, uh, help us to understand who you are uh, a little bit more, to understand your ways with your people. Uh, I pray that your word would be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in our midst this morning, that it would uh, be a hammer, as Jeremiah called it, that it would shape us and form us and, and beat us, as it were, into the image of you, Lord Jesus. We know we're destined to that, and we pray that this will be a part of realizing that destiny. Use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So now Revelation 7, beginning at verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall... Hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers will fade away, but this is God's Word. It will not fade away. It will abide forever and forever. Perhaps you've been in a situation where you or someone around you has said in a certain context, I wish this could last forever. Maybe you were on vacation. Maybe you were looking at a mountain or a seashore. Uh, things were calm. You had a picnic and there were no bugs present or anything. And, and someone said, I wish this could last forever. Thanksgiving Day is coming. Many of us will gather with family and friends or both. 
And we will, I hope, celebrate God's goodness to us. And somebody may say, you know, I wish this could last forever. And the Bible has really two responses to that. It can and it will. (laughs) And Revelation 7 is one of those places that shows that it will. Let me say a little bit about the context, the very broad context of Revelation. Uh, In Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 1, uh, John, the writer, says, I look and behold a door standing open in heaven. A door standing open in heaven. So what's the door for? Well, you get a glimpse of what it will be like in heaven. That's what it is. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it says these are the things that must soon take place. Well, soon by God's perspective, right? A couple of thousand years ago. So I want us to look first at the people in this picture uh, in verses 9 to 17. Then I want us to look at the heavenly beings that are in this picture, in uh, this passage. And then we'll come back to the the people again and some things about them. So he begins uh, with this behold, which means listen up. This is a big deal. He sees a great multitude. The number of these people is, it's a multitude that no one could count. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't know the number, right? Okay. But it means there's a very, very large number of people that he sees in this picture that he gets. And these are the redeemed of God we will see. And this is the fruition of the promise that was made to Abram back in Genesis chapter 15. Let me read a passage, Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these things, the word of God came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give for me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. We're looking in Revelation 7 at the offspring of Abraham. We're looking at those who are the children of Abraham, the sons of Abraham, those who are of faith, the writer to the Galatians says, are the children of Abraham. And I think this is a real encouragement for those of you who may not yet be Christians. Uh, You may wonder, is there room for me? Is there room for me? Am I wanted? The answer is yes to both questions. Can I be included? Yes, if you want to be. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. It's not like you get to there in room. And I think that's a great encouragement to anyone who's not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. Look secondly at the places of origin of this number that no one can count. It says um, they are from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Suppose you're a missionary in the early 1800s, and suppose uh, you feel a call to go to the South Pacific, to some little island where a man named John G. Payton went. 
What encouragement do you have? Why would you go to a little island with people that don't wear the same kind of clothes that you wear, if they wear any at all, who don't speak the language that you, that, that, that you speak? Why would you go into what we used to call darkest Africa? Why would you go to some remote place? Why would you go? Because you know that there's some marked out for eternal life in every place. I mean, you look at some of these missionaries and you think, my goodness, that doesn't look like a very great strategy to me. I wouldn't spend my life going there. Well, Jesus died for people there. Jesus died for people there. And I think it's a great encouragement, not only for missionaries, but for missions. For missions, that there are people, some from every tribe and people and language. Thirdly, look at the location of these people. It says they're standing before the throne. They're standing before the Lamb. They are what? In the presence of the living God. In your presence there's fullness of joy, writes the psalmist. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So why would you want to be in the presence of God? Well, blessing, yes, you get it. Security, beyond all that you could ask, think, or imagine. Blessing and security. Hmm, that's where they are, in the presence of God. Look what they're wearing. White robes, white robes. And, and the whiteness is a symbol of purity. It's a purity that has come by way of God's uh, taking away their sin from them as far as the east is from the west, and a purity that's come by robing them with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 14, skipping ahead, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And you think, well, that is a strange metaphor. I mean, some of you that do the wash, you said, that's trouble. It's hard to get blood out, you know, if it's dried and set up and been there a long time. What do you mean? You washed your robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb? What a metaphor. Yes, what a metaphor. <laughs> what a metaphor. Because my robes are soiled and your robes are soiled and they need to be washed. And the only washing, the only, the only, the only um, solvent, if you were, for sin is the blood of the lamb. You know that some things, you know, if you, you read on the label, if you get this on you, the only thing you can use to cleanse is this. And, you know, go get that. So if you've got soil on your soul, there's only one thing that will cleanse it. And that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's these people. They've washed their robes and, and made them white in the blood of the lamb. It's a purity that has come uh, through the refining fire of persecution and affliction and testing. And that's a real encouragement there, I think, to persevere. Uh, some of us go through greater and lesser struggles all the time. And we prayed this morning for people going through various struggles. And some of those struggles are ongoing. And some of those struggles are hard. And yet there's this encouragement to persevere. Why? Because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. The goal, the picture, a door opened in heaven. What do I see? Sinners like me in the presence of the living God being blessed. They're carrying palm branches. Now, the palm branches are symbolic. Uh, think of two things. One is victory. Um, a, a palm branch was a, was a symbol of, of victory. But it's also a symbol of thanksgiving. When you think about 
the children of Israel coming out of their bondage in Egypt and going to the promised land. And they, they celebrated annually the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Uh, and and they would, they would kind of camp out for a week in, in lean-tos that they made at least in part with, with branches. And, and it was a symbol of thanksgiving uh, for what God had done for them on their journey from Egypt toward the promised land. And lastly about these people, it says something about their past in verse 14 that they've come out of the great tribulation. So now, if you talk about the great tribulation in the American context, you've got to ask a further question, right? So are these, is this some subset of the people of God? Or is this the entirety of the people of God? Is this some limited 144,000 subset or is this all the people of God? Well, this will be too quick for some of you, but I think it's clearly all the people of God. He's talking about the number that no one can count, right? He's not talking about a subset. And, and, and indeed, all of the people of God come through a tribulation uh, to get to glory. But there's good news here. They've come out of it. When you get to heaven, you've come out of it. You've come through it. It's past. And only those that have known pain, suffering, problem, sorrow, really appreciate that. It will end, friend. It will end. I don't know what path you're walking today or what path you will walk in the future. But no matter how hard, that path will end. Because if you are a child of the living God, you will be in the presence of the living God, as this passage describes. So these people are praising God. They're saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb in verse 10. I find that a strange uh, sentence. Uh, I, I would have expected it to say something like salvation comes from our God, you know. But it says salvation belongs to our God. Belongs to our God. Interesting. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think it means that he gives it to whom he will. He has it. And he can give it. Um, I think he's, when it says salvation belongs to our God, I think it's salvation in the sense of deliverance and preservation. I think, again, like on the exodus from their bondage uh, to the promised land, they were saved, right? They were saved. They, they were delivered. They were preserved in the wilderness as they went toward the promised land. Those are the people in the picture. Secondly, they're the heavenly beings. Look at verse 11 and following. Um, and the angels were standing around the throne, their heavenly beings, and around the elders, I think they're heavenly beings, the four living creatures. And you think, okay, Alan, get me clear on that. And the answer is, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Here's why. Uh, if, if I gave you 10 minutes on that, which you wouldn't want me to do, at the end I'd say, but this is just speculation. We're not really sure, okay? So... Don't get, don't get too wound up about that. Let's move on to their posture, these heavenly beings. Because just like the people in the picture, they're worshiping God. They're on their faces before God. They fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God. They're praising God. At the, at the end of verse 12, it says, To our God forever and ever. And he focuses on seven things. 
Uh, you count them, you get, often get a list of seven in a places like this. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be unto our God. Ascribe all glory to God. And particularly, I want to think for a minute about thanksgiving. Because this is when thanksgiving will last forever. This is the point. Uh, this, is, this is going to be on and on and on. And indeed, right now in heaven, it's happening it's not something that just begins at the second coming, but I think it's already begun. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 7, Paul poses what I think is one of the most intriguing questions in all the Bible, and he says, what do you have that you did not receive? It's one of those questions that uh, the way it's written in the original language, it tells you what the answer to the question is and the way the question's asked. And the answer for a Christian is pretty easy, right? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. 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 If I have physical ability, if I have mental ability, if I was born into this family or that family, and there was blessing from that, what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Nothing. And I think these people realize that. We realize that a little bit, but I think we'll realize that more in the future when we're here in the presence of God and we realize his, his bigness and our littleness. But they're worshiping too. And then in verse 15, it switches back to the people in the picture. and says, therefore, they are before the throne of God. That means they've been accepted by God. Uh, they're in the same place as the heavenly beings. They're before the throne of God. And they're worshiping Him. They're serving Him night and day. They serve Him night and day in His temple. So they're serving Him joyfully. They're serving Him continuously. But if they are serving Him in the temple, what does that make them? Who went in the temple into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament? The priests, right? And one of the themes you find in the Bible... Uh, is that God's people are going to be a kingdom of priests. Really? The priests have what? Access to God. They are close to God. And it's an old idea. Listen, at Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6, the Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself which is, of course, a similar theme to what we're reading about in Revelation 7. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you want to say, stop, stop, stop. It says, if indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'd say, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I know you haven't, but Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. That's the reason a Christian can get excited because I'm a covenant breaker. He's a covenant keeper, and he kept it. If indeed you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In Revelation chapter 1, at verses 4, 5, and 6, you shall... And God has made us, God has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom, priest 
to his God and Father. Revelation chapter 5, there's some from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. So here they are, and they're before the throne, and they worship him continually, and they are priests in the presence of God. And, and then it goes into this long uh, ending section, a beautiful section. I encourage you to meditate on that uh, this afternoon or some other time. Um, uh, it says, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And then he begins to talk about what that will mean negatively. No more hunger. No more hunger. They shall hunger no more. You remember God's people in the wilderness? When they came out of Egypt, going toward the promised land, they were hungry. And they, 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 uh, they, they, they stubbed their toe pretty badly, but God gave them manna, and then he gave them quail. And then it says, neither thirst anymore. Remember the wilderness? And they were thirsty and gave them water from a rock, but Moses kind of muffed it a little bit. But they got water out of a rock. And then it says, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Well, it gets hot here. It did last summer. I talked to a man who was on a, an archaeological dig in the Holy Land. I asked him about it. He said, well, he got up at 4, had breakfast at 5, got to the dig site at 6. He said, we quit at 2 in the afternoon because it was 115 degrees, heading upward. I said, I'm glad you quit. Being out of the sun and out of the heat is a big deal in that culture, a really big deal. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. This is a picture of no more affliction, no more affliction, no more need, no more hunger, no more thirst. And then he says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He's obviously thinking about the kind of thing that's in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He will guide them, he will guide them to streams of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In Revelation 21, it says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. In Isaiah 25, it says he will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Let me tell you how some of you heard that. Because there's a song like this. No more crying now, right? For going to see the Lord. Lamb. Lord, how's it go? Anna, how's that song go? You know that song? No more crying now for we're going to see the Lord. The king. The king. Thank you, Sally. All right. Pardon? All right. So that's what you heard, but that's not what this text says. Really? It doesn't just say there's no more crying. It says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's a much more tender image then no more crying. The images of a mother lifting up into her arms a crying child and holding him or her very close and wiping away his or her tears, all the while assuring her or him of his love. When I was a kid, I don't know how old I was, but I know that I was sitting on the kitchen counter and my feet, the heels, hit about halfway down, okay? Six, five, I don't know. And I was banging on them. My mother 
told me to stop. I, my mother was baking a cake, and uh, I always liked to be around to lick the, the beaters, you know. And uh, we had one of those old GE stoves that had those heating elements that were about that wide. You remember those, some of you. You seasoned citizens remember those. And I, in my attraction to the batter and the cake, I at one point leaned over and put my hand on the eye which I've never done since. <laughs> and man, did I start crying. Man, did I start wailing. Man, did my mother pick me up. And we went into the sofa in the living room, and she held me. I still remember that. She held me. And she dried my tears. Friends, that's the picture here. That's the picture. I know this world is a veil of tears. I often pray when I pray in these worship services, Lord, be with those who've been crying because I know you've been crying. I know you've been crying. God's going to try your tears. Not just you're going to a place where there's no crying. That's good. But that's not what it said. Going to wipe away every tear from your eyes. I think that's good news. This, you see, is the great thanksgiving that's recorded here. This is the one that lasts forever. This is as good as it gets. This is the one that will never come to an end. And all of God's people will experience it. All of God's people. If you are one of God's people by faith, in Jesus Christ, rejoice and hope and long for that which is laid up in heaven for you. And if you are not yet one of God's children by faith, why not trust Him today? Why not commit yourself to Him today? Why not reach out to Him and embrace Him by faith today? Why not? There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. I mean, it's a number that no one can count. If one more comes in, there's no problem with that, right? Uh, friend, there's room for you. If you want it, you can have it. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you that someday our thanksgiving is going to be lasting forever. And it's going to be rich and full. It's going to be uh, better than anything we've ever known, giving thanks here. Uh, you're going to provide for our every need and Keep us from hunger and thirst. You're going to dry our tears. And we're going to rejoice in your presence, uh, accepted by God, by you, loved by you. As it says in Zechariah, you're going to rejoice over us with singing. Such an amazing thought. Lord, I pray for those who know you that their faith in you and their hope for heaven's glory would sustain them through life on earth. That they would grow rich in faith. And Lord, I pray for those that, that don't know you. That they would, Lord, be given grace to embrace you by faith 
see grace, be, be given grace to see the foolishness of their ways. Be given grace to know the humility that brings joy as it says, I can't do it, God. Will you do it for me? And then to hear you say, yes, I will. I have in my son. Lord, as we come to this table, let us come in thanksgiving. As we come to tables on Thursday, let us come in thanksgiving. And let us remember this great eternal thanksgiving that we will be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen.